book of John, chapter 8. And again, we're just going to continue to talk about stories of rescue, stories of rescue, and hopefully you can learn some lessons from these rescues. And the last, probably the last two weeks, probably the next two weeks, next two Sundays will be very much more uh, Christmas-oriented in the, the type of passage. But this passage, for some reason, it has just really been on my heart. It's the book of John, chapter 8. And so I want us to revisit this today. And this is the woman who is caught in adultery. And I want you to see how the Lord rescues her. So this is the book of John in chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11. And this is King James here. The Bible says, And Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning... He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Verse 6, excuse me, verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Verse 6, they said this, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up, and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? Verse 11, she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Look at that last phrase. It's very important today. Go and sin no more. Well, this has been a few years back, but I want to read you this quote and see if you, how you react to it. See what you think about this. Now, every one of you has a good reason to be critical of me. I want to say to each of you, simply and directly, I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I have engaged in. I know people want to find out how I could be so selfish and so foolish. People want to know how I could have done these things to my wife and to my children. And while I have always tried to be a private person, there are some things I want to say. Remember know who that was? That was Tiger Woods. Right? Tiger Woods had had an affair and cheated on his wife, and then after that became public, he'd had a couple other incidents, and his golf game started to really suffer, and he came out and he had these comments. Now, a few questions for you to think about today, and you could have put anybody else that has been in the public eye that has made mistakes, and I want you to think about this today. Um, should they be forgiven? 
Should Tiger Woods be forgiven for what he did? Would you forgive him? Should his wife forgive him? Or his mom or his kids? Or his mistress or his sponsors? Sponsors are probably the most unforgiving of that group today, huh? (laughs) What was your first thought when you heard that someone famous had done something so terrible? Were you upset? Did you think less of them? Did you even care? Did you think, well, maybe this is nobody's business? Well, okay, let's stop there for a second. That's enough of Tiger's transgressions. Let's talk about yours. What if today I up here had a book that listed all of your transgressions? Things you didn't want anybody else to know about. Your failures, your mistakes, your lies, your wicked, evil, or dirty thoughts. What if I had the entire list? You might say, well, nobody cares about my sins. But I'm going to tell you, I bet you I could get some pretty good social media traffic if I posted it in the right places. What do you think? Hmm. How would you feel? How would you feel if someone took all of your quote-unquote dirty laundry and let everybody else read about it and see about it and judge it and think about it? What would you feel and what would you do? Would you compare your sins with the sins of other people? Well, I know I did that, but that was not nearly as bad as this person. Do we ever do that? Would you justify why you're not as bad as the list makes you sound? As we begin to talk about forgiveness, we need to deal with a few things. Yes, everybody here today believes in forgiveness, and we want everyone to be forgiven, but the truth is that there will never be forgiveness if there is no recognition of sin in the first place. If there is no sin, there is no need for forgiveness. You tracking with me? In order to forgive someone, we have to acknowledge that transgression has taken place. Now, what can happen here, in my mind, there's two things, two kind of viewpoints, and we're going to kind of see these as we go through the message today. The first viewpoint is this, that we, when we are confronted with sin, especially our own sin, we will say, well, my sins really aren't as bad as yours, Right? Yeah, I know, I don't eat probably like I should, I don't exercise like I should, but I've never hit my wife, and you know, maybe I don't always watch the cleanest movies, but I don't watch the really bad ones. Are you tracking with that? Let's lay things out here, let's compare, let's say, well, I'm maybe not the greatest person, but I'm not as bad as that guy, or that guy, Okay. As a matter of fact, maybe sometimes we're not even sure we'd call those things sins. We might call them mistakes or poor judgment. I haven't done the terrible things. I'm really a pretty good person. I really don't need forgiveness. What I'm telling you today is I think this could be a lot of Christians in this group. I think sometimes we try to sanitize our sins. All right? That's one perspective. Here's the other perspective. And you'll hear this a lot in church nowadays too. Yeah, I messed up, but so are you. We're just all a mess. Amen? I tried to trick you there. 
Nobody said amen. I can hear. <laughs> Are we all messes? Yes, that is true. But what can happen is we can have an abuse of grace. We're all sinners. We all need forgiveness all the time. But the, what comes across is, well, you don't judge me and I won't judge you. Go ahead, live like you want. Just try to be good when you can. God's forgiving. He'll just look over the bad things. That's what he does. What is this called? This is an abuse of grace. All right. I hope, again, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I said this a few times, but it always seems to be a good illustration to me. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watched the old show called Cheers, and it was a bunch of folks would come and they would gather down in this bar, and they had a great uh, community, right? They always had friends. What's the slogan for this theme song? Remember, it's where everybody knows your name, right? Okay. Well, and I always kind of compared that same idea of community a little bit to church, right? Especially in a small church like this, right? Can anybody tell me where you think Michael's probably going to sit most Sundays? Or John? Or Robert? Todd and Donna? I think Wendy may be back a seat today. She's doing good today. She must have done something was coming. Esther and Sintel, right? Diane, Dustin, right? We have our own seats around the, the pews here. Not the bar, but the pews, right? We come in. We have our same personalities. Usually we bring them, right? Some of us are like, oh, just barely getting up. Some of us are all giddy and ready to go and perky, right? We have all those same habits. But what's the difference between that bar where there's community and this church where there's community? Well, at the bar, the deal is, yeah, we're just all messed up. At the church is, yeah, we're all messed up too, but we're trying to be like Christ. And so that all of a sudden puts a little different spin on things, doesn't it? Now there's some accountability. Now there's some self-examination. Now there's some encouragement. Now there's some challenge that there's not going to be in some places. And that's the difference. And so today, I want you to see that neither one of these things are good just by themselves. Well, I'm not that bad. I don't know how much forgiveness I need. Oh, I can do what I want. God's a forgiving God. Let's look at this story today and think about how Jesus rescues this woman and let the Lord speak to us about how we should treat ourselves when it comes to forgiveness and how we should treat others. What I would really hope to remind you about today is that instead of comparing yourself to others, whether they're saints or sinners, that you should be comparing yourself to Christ. How do you compare to Christ? Dustin said, Moses in the burning bush. What happened there? <laughs> he had to take off his shoes, right? Isaiah, he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. He has a vision of God. And what's he say? I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Basically, I can't even be in your presence. Moses at one time says, I can't see the glory of God. So he has to go and hide and watch God's glory go on by. Right? When you compare yourself to Christ, you do not measure up. And I think that will help us a lot when we're feeling really judgmental and really trying to justify and sanitize our sins. When we look at Jesus, he will help us put everything in perspective. The closer we get to Christ, the more we'll see our own sinfulness and the easier it will be to extend grace and mercy. <coughs> Excuse me, on Wednesday night we've been doing Hosea. And I'm still trying to help out my military guys. I, I apologize, guys. I've been thinking about this since we've been doing this. 
um, probably one of the highest values in the military is the value of sacrifice. Would that be a pretty good statement? Yeah. And so this phrase that we ran over the last two Wednesday nights, Hosea, through the Lord, says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I think it's been really hard for people who we've always said sacrifice is a great thing. And now the preacher's saying, well, sacrifice isn't important. <laughs> but those are actually two different meanings for the way we're using those words. But Hosea, what was happening is the people, they were going through all their routines, but their heart was not being changed. Their heart was not with God. Any of us ever do that? You ever check off your devotion box? Check off your prayer box? Check off your, I'm going to get up, go to church box. <laughs> Check off your, put some money in the offering plate box. Right? That's when you're making sacrifice, but you're not showing mercy. Well, what I want to continue with this idea about Jesus here today, Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And we're going to see a great picture of that, as Michael even reminded us on Wednesday night from this very story. So just for the moment, I'm going to let you back off the hook. Let's go look at somebody else's sins, okay? You can take a breather for a second. Look back again in John chapter 8 in verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery... Uh, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So you guys got, you got the environments going on, right? Jesus is actually in the temple courts. So maybe we should think of that as the, like the family room today, right? He's not necessarily in the sanctuary, but he is on the church grounds. And he is teaching people different truths. So while he is there teaching the Pharisees, they have been kind of desperate because they're noticing that a lot of people are starting to follow him. Like they're afraid that they're going to lose power and influence to this man named Jesus. And they're like, we got to do something about this. Right? In the political world, we call that kind of getting up some dirt on somebody, right? And that's what they're thinking. We've got to put this man in a spot somewhere where it's not politically savvy and where those people that are following him will recognize that, well, he's just a regular person and they'll leave him alone and begin to to be back under our influence. So they decide to bring him a trap. So all these people are gathered around. Jesus is in the courtyard. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, or the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring in to Jesus whom? A woman. Now this is some penology here, so take this for what it's worth, okay? But the way that when you read this phrase, I think King James said taken, here we have caught in adultery, it's like in the very act, it's like they went and they yanked this woman out of a house and brought her immediately to Jesus. In my mind, again, you could check this. In my mind, this is not something that she did four months ago. This is probably something that happened the night before or the day of. They're taking this woman, they caught her in the very act, and they're yanking her to the temple. Is there any problem with that? There's a lot of issue there, right? What if uh, one of my coworkers that I was thinking maybe that they're not really where they ought to be with the Lord, and they were somewhere drinking and smoking things they shouldn't be drinking and smoking and way too much of. 
What if this morning I had went to them and yanked them right out of the bar and I brought them right here to church? And I said, this is what we're not going to be. Is that going to help that person? That may destroy that person, right? Do you see how arrogant and prideful and damaging something like that would be? All right. We don't usually do that, do we? We don't bring and yank people right into our church worship service who've just come out of their sin. But instead, what do we do? We talk about them. We post on Facebook about them. We take pictures and say, can you believe that? Right? We still bring that same level of arrogance and pride and judgment. We just don't always bring the person along. Okay? Okay? So the Pharisees, the scribes, they bring this woman, they bring her to Jesus. I have no clue. I, I can't even in my mind can imagine what she looks like. She probably looks really frazzled. And I don't know if they've already, if they've yanked her, if they've hurt her. But in her, she does not, would not look good in an in a, in a appearance sort of way when she is brought to Jesus. What's always interesting to me is where's the guy? Right? Takes two to tango, and he is nowhere to be found, is he? Right? Interesting. I think maybe part of that, again, penology, just some imagination here, is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees really knew what was, they would have their most effect and their most power if they just had the woman there. Because that's where they were going to really make it, oh, Jesus, if he follows the law and tries to punish this woman, then all those people following him are going to say, oh, look, he has no mercy, no compassion. Yeah, this is going to be easy. We just want the woman there. That's, again, just some opinion there. So here's the thing. They make this woman come and stand in this group. It's not just her and Jesus. If you have done something wrong and you know it's wrong, who do you not want to be around? Well, probably anybody, <laughs> but especially people who are trying to portray themselves as people of high and moral upstanding people, Right? You probably don't want to be with that group of people. And yet that's where she finds herself. In the middle of her adultery, she's been yanked from her, from this house, this place. She's brought into the temple of all places where people have come to worship. And the people that brought her were supposed to be the holiest, highest up people of her day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And there she stands in the middle of this group. How do you think she feels? Yes. I can see it in your eyes. You get it, right? How horrible would that be? How would you feel at your worst mistake, at the moment when you made your poorest decision to be yanked out of that moment and thrust into some public setting where everybody could examine you and all of your flaws? What could a church person, a Christian person, a God-fearing person do in that moment to make things better? Well, we're going to see that here in a second. Today, I want to be careful about this, and I want you to see these two things, and there's kind of, they, they both go back and forth. One is that she is a victim. I'm not real big in victims, okay? <laughs> I don't like for people to think they're victims. I don't want to think I'm a victim. I want my kids to think that way. But this lady has clearly been a victim of somebody else's power, hasn't she, right? At the same time, what I also want you to know is she is a sinner. Has this woman transgressed God's law? Is it going to do damage to that man? Is it going to damage to his wife and his kids? Will it do damage to her husband and her children? 
There is sin there, and it's going to have a consequence, and it's going to have effect. So yes, she is a victim, but yes, she is a sinner. She has done something wrong. As a matter of fact, those actions, those wrong actions are detested by God, and the Scripture is very clear. God hates adultery. We've been studying on Wednesday night now for four or five weeks in the book of Hosea. God hates adultery. Are you seeing the fact that we have to acknowledge sin if we're going to have forgiveness, okay? Today, we have a real problem. If we find some sort of conflict with something that is sinful, well, then we just say that it's healthy. <laughs> that's how we get around it, right? Well, that's just how you're made. That's just a normal way of behavior. It, it must be healthy. Instead of calling sin, sin and acknowledging it as something that is wrong and then dealing with it. Again, just clearly speaking, adultery is clearly a sin against God and against our spouse. It's even one of the Ten Commandments, right? So her condemnation is going to be sure, isn't it? The law is clear, right? Is the law clear about this? This is where it gets really interesting to me. Let me take you some Old Testament passages just briefly. Now, the first one is Deuteronomy chapter 22. You can follow on the screen or look in your Bible if you like today. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 20. This is written by Moses, so here's what the scripture has to say about situations such as the one we're talking about this morning. The scripture says, if, however, the charge is true and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Whoa. No, 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 we don't do that, right? Can you get a, just a glimpse of what God thinks about sin? We are so soft on sin. I am so soft on sin. You read the scripture, you get reminded that you serve a holy God. And you acknowledge sin for what it is. It isn't just the girl. Look at verse 22. The scripture says, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. If a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The girl, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. Let me say this to you today adultery is no light matter to God. All right? Your preacher is not calling for stonings of adulterers, okay? Don't even go down that road. <laughs> But what I want you to see, what the scriptures are teaching us here today, is that sin is not a little thing. Adultery is not a little thing. Unless you get down the road too far and you're like, oh, I've never cheated on my wife, or oh, I've never cheated on my husband. Well, Jesus said if a man has lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. So I'm guessing at least most of the men in this room have already been down this road. Okay? So what's your punishment? Are you tracking? Sin is no little thing. Again, even in the scriptures, even if there were no witnesses, there was still a test for adultery. And in Numbers chapter 5, verse 11, I'm not going to read you the whole scripture. I just want you to know about this. A husband who was suspicious of his wife would bring an offering to a priest, and the priest would take holy water and sprinkle dust from the tabernacle and make an offering, would have the wife drink this water. If she was innocent, nothing would happen. If she was guilty, the scripture says her abdomen would swell, and she'd be unable to bear children, and she would be accursed among the people. 
Again, I hope you hear me clearly today. This person that is, has the result of these consequences, they're not just a victim, but they're also a sinner. And we are the same thing. We are also the sinner. So let's jump back into our story back in John 8. So the law says the woman should be killed, but here's what I want you to, to know just so you have some context. Most likely this law had not been enforced since the days of Moses. <laughs> uh, John Gill, a famous commentator, has this. I really like this quote. He says, the Jews have also a saying that if all adulterers were punished with stoning according to the law, the stones would be consumed. You hear what he's saying? There's not enough stones to get rid of all the adulterers. And that shows another problem, right? Okay. Again, adultery was really common, even as it is in our day. This is nothing new. It was common in the days of our Lord. So here's the thing. Here's the whole ploy, right? Here's what the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to get at. If Jesus says the woman should be stoned, then this rabble that has been following him will cry out against him. And if he says she should not be stoned, then the scribes and Pharisees will say, well, he doesn't agree with the law of Moses. That's a pretty good trap, isn't it? The Pharisees and the scribes, I've got them. We've got them. If he goes for the woman and says, no, we're not going to stone her, well, then you really don't agree to the law, Lord, do you? But then if he decides that, well, we're going to take care of this situation just according to the law, then the people will say, we're done with you, Jesus. We might uh, find similar arguments today, by the way. Hey, preacher, you preach grace and mercy. So even though fundamentalists say that living together is wrong, you really wouldn't hold me to that, right? I mean, after all, that's so New Testament. <laughs> Did you catch hold of that? Yeah, we're laying it out pretty clear today, right? Well, I know you preach about it, but really you don't want me to have to live that way, right? <laughs> Hello and welcome to God's convicting work in all of us, okay? Hmm. There is even more to this trap, by the way. Roman law prohibited capital punishment without approval. So if Jesus upholds the law of Moses, then they stone the woman, he'll actually be going against Caesar, Quite a doozy. Again, the Pharisees were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But so what does Jesus do? Well, if he says this way, he's in trouble. If he says that way, in trouble. So what's Jesus do? He sits down. Maybe he's already sitting down. And the scripture says that he starts drawings and writing in the sand. Hmm. Think about this with me just a minute. Probably the same hand, the same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments. That wrote, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's here writing <laughs> in the sand. Or maybe you remember from King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Mene, mene, tikel, you Pharisee. When the handwriting is on the wall there uh, in the palace, when Babylon's about to crumble, same hand is writing there. Same hand is writing here. Jesus acts like he doesn't even hear them, okay? Hmm. Let's read in verse 6. So they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. And again, he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. 
I wish I knew what he wrote. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to give you some speculation here today, give you a little penology again there. But the scripture doesn't say. What do you think he wrote? Hmm. Maybe he wrote down the Ten Commandments again. I don't know. Maybe he wrote down the individual sins of her accusers. Maybe he wrote down that passage in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. Let me put this up here for you guys to see. Deuteronomy 17, 6. Scripture says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Maybe there was only one witness. Verse 7. The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death, and then the hands of all the people. You must purge evil from among you. All right, well, if you want to do the stoning, you're the accuser. There's the stones. Maybe Jesus was writing that verse down. And that person that made the accusation was like, I don't want to throw the first stone. Would any of you like to throw the first stone today? It's like, we don't mind throwing verbal stones, do we? We can throw those sticks and stones all day long. But when it comes to actually going to have an impact on somebody's real life, then all of a sudden we want to draw back, don't we, right? Uh, one author has said maybe he wrote the names of the accuser's girlfriends. <laughs> oh, boy. Could you imagine? What those accusers did not know and what they found out was that whatever Jesus wrote in the sand, he knew their hearts. He knew what was in their minds. Uh, one of the Orthodox traditions has this. I thought this was interesting, again, just to share. What the Lord write in the dust? Well, the evangelist maintains silence concerning this and does not write of it. Maybe it was too repulsive and vile to be written in the book of joy. However, in our holy orthodox tradition, it has been preserved. There's, again, it's, this is just tradition, not necessarily scripture. Maybe this is what the Lord wrote. Maybe with his finger he disclosed the secret iniquities of the accusers of the woman who was caught in adultery. Maybe he just wrote down other sins listed in the scriptures. Jesus spoke to them and said, If anybody is without sin, cast the first stone and then he went back to writing. Let's look at verse 9 again, back in John. What happens next? Well, the scripture says, John writes, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now what do you find interesting? What I find interesting is who left first? What's the scripture say? Who left first? The oldest, right? Who is usually the most zealous among us? If we had any college students here today, sometimes they're the most zealous, aren't they? Not always, but oftentimes, right? They seem to have a passion and a zeal and an energy. And as I get older, I was like, oh, I would like to go do that. But you know what? I think I'm just going to sit here, Right? So it could be something to do with that idea of zealousness. The oldest surely were the wisest, and they realized that Jesus had just beat them in this chess match, and what he wrote on the ground, it was not going to be worth going against that. And I can almost hear the thud of the first stone falling out of people's hands. Yeah, we can't do this. And the oldest, they walk away. This is not right. We're, we've been outdone. And then all of a sudden, you'll see the others start to leave as well. Again, my guess is nobody had the guts to throw the first stone because whatever Jesus wrote in the dirt that day made, remembered, made them remember their own fallenness and their own sinfulness. So how about you today? 
we would never throw stones, right? Would you stand for truth even though you are fallen? Hear me out this morning. Could you tell someone something was wrong even if you were guilty of the same sin? No, I don't talk about that. I have a problem with that. (laughs) This is the issue. If we would compare ourselves to Christ, then we can talk about all of it. And if we can let the scripture be our authority, we can let the scripture be the one that is making the judgment. And then we can also humble ourselves under the scripture and say, yeah, I'm having an issue with this and I'm trying to work through it too. At the same time, the word of God stands. Amen? Today, we need to make sure that we don't shy away from speaking the truth even when we know it's an issue that we are dealing with. Again, we've got to evaluate ourselves by how we measure up to Christ, not by evaluating ourselves with one with another. Maybe today, and I hope that you don't feel this way, but I know that probably among us there's somebody that does feel this way. You might feel like the woman. You might feel shameful or undeserving or worthless or empty. And Jesus is going to show this lady mercy and it's going to change her life. And today I would remind you that no matter what state you're in, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, the Lord is going to bring to you forgiveness if you'll acknowledge your sin and repent of it. That is not penology. <laughs> that is the gospel, right? All right. When Jesus finishes writing, only the woman is left. Here's what I think is interesting as well is, does Jesus have any sin? If anybody could throw a stone, who could throw one? The one with no sin, and yet he doesn't even speak a word, right? Amen? That's so awesome of our Savior. He could cast the first stone. As God, he could have ended her life at the moment, but instead, he forgives her. All of her accusers have gone. What an incredibly beautiful moment for this woman. Jesus didn't have to chide her or preach at her for all of her miserable failures. He didn't have to nag her. He simply did what? He showed her mercy. I desire what? (laughs) Mercy, not sacrifice. I can't, you haven't been to church in the last eight weeks. What is your problem? Why are you making these stupid decisions? Jesus didn't have to chide her a bit. In the middle of her horrible situation, he showed her mercy and it transformed her. Now, he did speak to her, didn't he, about her sin? He didn't abandon that idea. But he showed her mercy in the midst of her pain and that was as transforming as anything in her life. He did not condemn her Maybe for the first time in her life, and this is, again, just some imagination here, she has extended true love from a man. Isn't it interesting today that the Pharisees exposed this woman's sin and brought her to Jesus, and that is probably the best thing that could have happened to her? Think about that. Sometimes we want to hide behind our nice little Christian masks. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm a good person. I want people to think I'm a good person. I want people to see my good deeds. I want people to see that I'm coming to church. I want people to see that I sing when we worship. I want people to hear me answer just the right answers in Sunday school or Wednesday night. I want people to think I'm good. This girl had done something horribly wrong, and it was exposed. And yet it turned out to be one of the best things ever happened in her life. 
quit keeping the secrets. Didn't you hear the Lord speaking today? Quit keeping the secrets. Be honest. Brother Todd, in our Sunday school lesson, he had a really good point there that one of the things that people need to hear when we're trying to convey the love of Jesus and we're trying to speak out against things that are wrong is they need to know that when we share wisdom that we fail too, right? Okay? Be honest. Hey, I did mess up here, but then I repented of my sins and the Lord gave me forgiveness and now I'm making my way down that road a little further. Again, Jesus examines her heart. He does tell her, go and leave your life of sin. And I think sometimes we forget this last line of this story. And this is one of the most important lines of them all. Jesus didn't want her to stay in her sinful condition, but he saw the first, the person first and the sin he saw second. He loved her. He showed her mercy. Now, the other thing I want you to think about this morning is does the woman get off scot-free? She sinned. Somebody has to die, purge the evil from among you. She was speaking to her sacrifice. You following that? Somebody has to pay for the sin. There has to be a death. And Jesus would be the person who would take the place for all of us, for all of our sins. And here she's talking to the person who will pay for her sin, that she can have mercy from God Almighty. He takes her place just like he will take your place and mine. Today, maybe you're like the woman. You're scared to death that somebody here might find out about your sin and start casting stones. But Jesus wants you to know the day that you are worth so much that if he doesn't condemn you, who will? Just like he said to the woman. He also wants you to live a life that is worthwhile right now and eternity. So go and sin no more. Sinner or saint, if we come to Jesus, he washes away our sins and he gives us strength to lead a life of righteousness. All right? Where are you at today? Quit hiding behind the mask. Quit living a life of secrets. Be open and honest. And when you sin, when you fall down, be honest before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my problem. Give me the strength to be what you have me be. Forgive me and help me as I repent and turn from these things. And Lord, you make my life what you want it to be. We live in a day, and it's just, it's worse every day, where when somebody's mistake comes up visible, then everybody just attacks that person. And if anybody should be showing mercy, it should be the church, right? I'm trying to beg on you, church, today. Let me tell you just a quick story. I won't be dismissed this morning. Uh, I thought about showing the video, and I thought, no, I think I'm just going to tell the story. And when I, I was really... Uh, uh, growing, and the Lord was speaking to my heart. I was listening to this guy by the name of Matt Chandler. He's a preacher down in Texas. And he was telling a story when he, he was just in college. Like he was 18 or 19 years old, and he was in college. And him and some of his friends in this class, there was a, a young single mom who was in a class with him. She was uh, 26. And she had been pretty promiscuous uh, up to that time, and they were trying to encourage her and trying to get her draw her into church and draw her to the Lord. And so uh, Matt says, well, he, one of his friends was actually playing in the worship band at church, and he, he told this uh, lady, this girl at school, he said, why don't you come and hear my friend? He's playing music over at this place. He goes, it was really shady, but it worked. <laughs> and so this 26-year-old woman comes into church one Sunday, and uh, 
Matt's friend plays, and it's just beautiful, and you know, they were bragging on how good he did. And then the preacher gets up, and he decides today is the day he's going to talk about sex. And what he does is he pulls out this rose, really beautiful, red, deep crimson red rose, all the petals, all the edges, and everybody, they look at the rose. Oh, the rose is beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it nice? And he says, okay, I want you guys to all see the rose and pass the rose around. And as the rose gets passed around, he said there was about 1,000 people in the building that day, and the rose keeps making its way around. He says this preacher then begins to go and to preach one of the worst messages he's ever heard on a biblical view of sex. It was basically, you don't want this, you don't want that STD, and you don't want to look like this, and you don't want to be this kind of person, and that was the whole message. And he got, at the end of his message, he said, where is that rose? Where's that rose at? And somebody brings up the rose to him. Of course, all of the petals on the rose are all wilted. Many of them falling off. And he says, who would want this? You don't want to be this. Who would want this? And Matt says, here is his promiscuous friend that he's been trying to bring redemption, that he's sitting beside in this pew. And he begins, he wants to cry out, who would want it? Jesus wants the rose. Amen. He does. <coughs> the Lord Jesus wants a rose. Let's stand.